want to say hi uh, to everyone here in Knox Hall and those joining us in the sanctuary in our classic service or online, wherever you are this morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad you're here uh, today. Uh, as we are in a series on the Beatitudes, uh, where we're listening to these invitations uh, from Jesus on what is the good life uh, that you and I can step into. Uh, and today uh, we have this beatitude before us, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And understanding what it means to be merciful is pretty important because Jesus says those who bring mercy into the world, uh, these people uh, experience happiness. This is what blessed means. And so this morning, uh, I would like to talk first about the picture of mercy. What is it? Second, the prize with mercy. What, what do we get? Third, the posture to mercy. What is our response? And last, the power for mercy. How, how does this mercy change us? So the picture, the prize, the posture, and the power. Four points, four Ps from this passage. I can't alliterate with more Ps than that. That is where we're going to be uh, this morning. The picture. Uh, throughout the Bible, uh, uh, mercy is this marker that God has given for uh, the people of God. Uh, the prophet Micah uh, is writing to God's people, and he says, uh, these, this is who we're called to be. We are to uh, act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. We're called to love, love mercy. And so this morning you may be saying, okay, uh, we're supposed to love mercy, but what is it? Uh, is it grace? Is it, is it kindness? What, what is mercy? Uh, well, grace could be best heard and means undeserved help. Undeserved help. Mercy is this rich word. It, it really means to be moved by empathy for the suffering of somebody else. Richard Linsky says it this way, uh, Mercy always deals with what we see of pain, misery, and distress, these results of sin, and grace always deals with the sin and guilt itself. So we could say it this way, Mercy it, it responds to the effects of sin. Grace responds to the sin itself. Mercy, mercy responds to the effects of sin. Grace responds uh, to the sin itself. And uh, two stories that I've seen uh, recently in my reading uh, show pictures of people who have withheld mercy, withholding it, and people who give it. Uh, the first story uh, comes actually recently from some reading, a uh, story of a, of a young boy, nine years old, Everett Coughlin. He's from our area. Uh, Everett is a Detroit Lion fan, and he wrote a letter to the NFL recently about some issues he was having, and he wrote this. Dear NFL, my name is Everett Coughlin, and I am nine years old, and I am a Detroit Lions fan. My dream is to grow up and to become an NFL player. However, my dream is on hold because of the bad refereeing and the Monday night game against the Packers. <laughs> the Lions were fudged on many calls that either should have been a penalty or shouldn't have, and I would just like to check in on the amount of training the refs are receiving. It gets better. If you're giving a lot of training, 
then maybe consider taking them to an eye doctor. (laughs) If you're not giving them a lot of training, then we have a problem. You're frustrating people all over the country. There are many, many people who agree with me. I think we need a solution. Please write back as soon as possible. Sincerely, Everett Coughlin. And for every Detroit Lion fan in the room, can we say amen? Everett Kaufman wants nothing, nothing to do with mercy. He wants justice. He wants vindication. He wants things right. He wants the refs to pay. His dreams are on hold. Now, contrasting Everett's story with uh, a story I read recently by a man named Dr. Rod Rosenblatt. Uh, Rod uh, served for years as a theology professor uh, and wrote many, many books Uh, Rod tells the story of when he was 16 years old and uh, he borrowed his dad's car. Uh, Not only his dad's car, his Buick 8, which I did not know what a Buick 8 was. So this dates this story considerably. Uh, I had to actually look up what is a Buick 8 and uh, it's what we would call now a classic car. But Rod took out his dad's Buick 8 with his friends and uh, they went out the night and Rod and his friends had been drinking and they totaled his dad's Buick 8. Rod calls his dad, says, we're okay. Um, I've totaled the car. Uh, I've been drinking, and uh, I'm actually drunk. He came home that night, and he, he, uh, he, he saw his, his, his dad, and he was waiting in his dad's study, uh, weeping, uh, uh, expecting the judgment of his dad to come down on him like an anvil. Deserving fully the wrath that should occur. Uh, and and he, in walks his dad, and his dad says one thing to him. How, how about tomorrow, you and I go look for a new car? Uh, Rod l- looks back on this moment when he was 16 and says that was the moment God opened his eyes to the truth of the gospel. Seeing the mercy from his dad that he should not have received seeing the grace from his dad he should not have been given, that that in this moment, he says, this is the moment where I actually became a Christian and has gone on uh, to to impact lives around the world. So mercy is seeing the effects of sin and doing something about it, stepping into the brokenness and the destruction and working to bring new life. And Jesus holds out this reward if we will accept this kind of life. Uh, And that brings us to the second point, the the prize with mercy. Jesus says in this passage, these words, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus tells us there's this prize that you will receive. You will be shown mercy. Now this promise that Jesus gives is extremely countercultural. Uh, to the people that stood on that hillside 2,000 years ago. Uh, It's extremely countercultural for two reasons. The the first being the Roman system that occupied the land. Uh, the, The Romans that occupied this land, they saw no prize at all in mercy. You see, in our culture, because we've been affected by a a Christian history, a Christian story, a Christian uh, tradition, uh, where we believe every person has the image of God in them. Every person has the imago Dei, that, that every person has value. 
But you see, in the first century, that did not exist. The, the Romans saw mercy as weakness. Um, in fact, the, the Roman philosophers said that mercy was, quote, the disease of the soul. The disease of the soul. The, 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 the Romans, they prized justice, and they saw mercy as weak. Uh, there's this thing uh, in, in the Roman time called patria potestas. It, it's this, the, the Latin for the power of the father. A, a child would be born, and the servant would take this child, and it would hold it before the father. And if the father gave a thumbs up, the, the child would live. But if the servant had grabbed a child, a newborn child, and brought it before the father, and the father gave a thumbs down, the child was immediately taken and drowned. See, there, there, there was no place for mercy uh, within the Roman system. And, and into this world came this rabbi who stood in this land of Galilee and says, happy, happy are the merciful. And secondly, Jesus spoke of what true transformation looks like. And it's something completely different from the religious system of the day. Jesus' view of mercy was rejected by the Roman system and misapplied by the religious system. You see, the, the Jewish religious system of the day was consistently rebuked by Jesus for solely being focused on externals. Uh, Jesus would say uh, to people, uh, you, you clean the outside of the cup, but you neglect the inside. Like, th there's this beautiful facade of this house on the outside, but the inside has not been cleaned in years. And Jesus was giving very harsh words to this religious system that on the outside was clean, but on the inside had not been transformed. Jesus tells this parable about a servant uh, who goes before uh, his master uh, owing a debt and crying out for mercy. And this master forgives his servant. And in the very next scene of this parable, the servant seeks out a fellow servant who owes him money this fellow servant cries out for mercy, but is not extended the mercy. And so Jesus finishes the parable saying this. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should be paid back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. From your heart. So this religious system misses the prize because it's not concerned about the change on the inside, the change of the heart, but it's focused on saving itself through the externals. And so you may be wondering this morning, well, how do I know if I have received mercy on the inside? How, how do I know that I actually have received the mercy from the inside? Well, that brings us to the third point, which is the posture to mercy. Uh, you know, through my years of pastoring, I've had these great conversations with people who are skeptics to Christianity. Uh, people who have really tough issues or tough questions that they are wrestling through that keep them from following Jesus. And, and those questions vary, and I actually love these times because what these times mean are uh, times where I, I have these great questions come at me and it gives me time to go back to read and reflect and study. 
Um, and the questions are all over the board of what they are particularly facing. But one thing, the thread that lines through all of these conversations that we continually come back to is, who was Jesus? Who was Jesus? Who was this man? And they will usually say something, uh, he, he was a wonderful person, he was a wonderful man, he had this great teaching of love that he shared with the world, but he should not have been worshipped. He, 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 was this, he was this great man who, who lived this incredible life, uh, who, who cared for people, who walked with people, um, but he shouldn't have been worshipped. Uh, they'll, say, they'll say to me, uh, you can respect Jesus, you can even like Jesus, but you don't have to follow him. And the only problem with this view is that this was not a posture of any person who encountered Jesus in the Gospels. You see, the reality is there are really only two responses, two postures that we see when people encounter Jesus in the Gospels. One response was, let me be. Let, let me be. And then the second response was, God have mercy on me. Let me be, or God, have mercy on me. This one response in various forms, let me be. From the rich young ruler who will not accept Jesus' invitation to the people who questioned Jesus about how he interpreted the law, to the people who said they had something better to do than follow him, to the people who are part of the crowd in the end who said, crucify him. Let me be. Let me be. This was the response of many of the people in religious this day when they were asked to follow him. They said, let me be. This was the response when Jesus pressed in and said, what holds your affections? What captures your thoughts? What holds your dreams? Will you follow me? They say, let me be. Let me be. But the other response we see throughout the Gospels also comes in many forms, but it is essentially this, God, have mercy on me. From the blind man who asked Jesus to heal them, from the outcast non-Jewish woman who pleads for Jesus to set her daughter free, to the hated tax collector who stood in the temple beating his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. In most of these instances in the Gospels, these were the ones who did not look put together. These were the ones who had not figured religion out. These are the ones who had no idea where Leviticus was in their Bible. These were the ones who had made a mess of their lives, but who were crying out in desperation, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Jesus says, these are the ones who are getting blessed. These are the ones who God has declared in the right. These are the ones who are stepping in moment by moment to this kingdom life with God where you are safe and you have nothing to worry about. These are the people experiencing that kind 
of happiness. The question this morning is, where are you? Where are you? Uh, A couple years back, Rachel and I went shopping at 12 Oaks Mall. And um, to be more honest, it was more Rachel went shopping and I was there being tortured. Um, and, uh, and Rachel said, uh, hey, I would like to spend, quote, a few more minutes in this store. Um, and some of us have been there, that few more minutes, right? And when, quote, a few more minutes turned into longer than a few more minutes, uh, I decided to go on a walkabout through 12 Oaks Mall. And usually, you know, I'm actually really good with directions. I have a sense of a compass inside me. I know where I am and where I need to go if I need to get somewhere. But in this particular moment, I don't know if it was how 12 Oaks is structured, but I got lost. I mean, I was turned inside out. I had no clue where I was. But the beautiful thing about the mall is this directory where you can go and you can see all the stores and you can see everything of where everything is. And the even more beautiful thing about that directory is there's this arrow on there that says what? You are here. You are here. And, and, and what I loved about that arrow was amidst feeling lost uh, of not knowing up or down, this arrow gave me truth. It gave me reality. It told me this is what is real. You are here. And friends, this morning for us is the question, where are you? Where are you? What is is your posture to this God? This will tell you a lot about how mercy is working in your life if you think you need it. But if we're honest this morning, uh, we find ourselves going between these two postures. Uh, most of the time, we, we, we may not say it out loud, but we feel it inside. We, we say to God, let me be. Uh, God, I will, I will do it in my own strength. Uh, God, you have nothing uh, to worry about. If I need you, I will let you know. Let me be. And then in God's kindness, he will bring something into your life that you can name. A breakup, a diagnosis, a termination, a setback, a loss. God in his kindness will bring something into your life that you can name. And if you can't name it this morning, I have good news, it's coming. God in his kindness will will bring something into your life so that you will realize that as the boat of self-reliance is tossed amidst the storms, that you will come to the end of yourself and you will have nothing left but desperation to say, God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me. This is what God is willing to do for all of us. This is the posture that God blesses, the one who says, God, have mercy on me. So the question is, how do we get this kind of life continually How do do we live out of this place? How do do we live out of this growth and this transformation? How how do we take on this kind of posture continually in our lives? Well, that brings us to the last point, the power power for mercy. 
So I have a confession to make this morning, and I'll, I'll just say it plainly. Uh, I lied. Uh, I would count it an innocent lie, just as much as a spouse lies about the surprise birthday, birthday party for the spouse, or how parents lie about what actually happens at Christmas time. It was an innocent lie. Because I would say there's actually probably not two postures, but three. Let me be. God have mercy on me. And can Christ have mercy on me? You see, this last one through pastoring, I hear story after story of people who, who what, what has ever happened in their life, what they're currently going through, uh, what they have done, whatever secret that they're carrying, that this place that they get to where they will say, can Christ have mercy on me? Can he? Will he? I don't know if you've been following the news uh, over the last few years and decade of the destruction in Aleppo, Syria. Uh, Aleppo is one of the most dangerous and tormented cities in the whole world. Um, because it has, it has been a home base for opposition against the Syrian president, Bashar al-Assad. And al-Assad's response to the opposition has been to bomb the city with airstrikes. And with these bombs, thousands and thousands of people have been buried alive underneath the collapsed buildings. So naturally, the prevailing fear of the, of the citizens of Aleppo is this fear of being buried alive underneath their home. And in Aleppo, there is a volunteer group of people known as the Syrian Civil Defense. It's a group made up of Syrian men and women, and they are also known as the White Helmets. Their job is to run immediately into the blast zone whenever a bomb hits and to begin to dig people out of the rubble. They hear a blast, and then they run in. 60 Minutes uh, documented a story on Aleppo and the White Helmets, and they described the scene this way. The airstrikes obliterate the apartments and shatter the nerves of the people. Often the bombs are not aimed at military targets. They're actually not aimed at all. Just a barrel of shrapnel and TNT heaved from a helicopter onto any neighborhood the Hassad dictatorship does not control. There have been 3,000 people trained to run into the disasters and to pull people out. It is extremely dangerous work because the white helmets know as they head in to save lives, usually there is a second wave of bombings that will come down in that area. Uh, Rady is the name of one of the white helmets who have served, and this is his quote. He says this, In every mission, there is a 50% chance I will live and a 50% chance I'll die. But in the end, I've left my mark. I've left children who are going to live and complete our future. Hundreds of white helmets have lost their lives running into these blast zones, but this does not deter this group who run in immediately and begin digging with their hands in a race against time, and today they have saved 80,000 people from these collapsed buildings. 
one of these white helmets commented one day why they do this, and they said this. Every time we have pulled someone from the rubble, we feel as if we have brought someone back to life. This morning, friends, I hope you can see the picture of mercy that has been shown to you. Jesus Christ, who is not only the ruler of Syria, but the ruler of this entire universe, has run into the blast zone. He has not thrown down the bombs, but has run into the blast zone for you. On the cross, he allowed all the evil of this world to come down on him. He entered the mess that we have made with things to pull us from the rubble. Not as people who appear to be brought back to life, but people who were dead and through his resurrection power have been risen from the dead. Through his power and his power alone, we have been raised to eternal life through his mercy. This is what the Apostle Paul says to the church of Ephesus. He says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich, rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Friends, this morning, don't you see this is the power that you and I need? This power continually working from within us. This power that comes to us from one who entered the rubble to set us free. Mercy rich, mercy free, mercy for you and me. Don't ever doubt the depths that God would go to shower mercy upon you. Don't ever doubt the depths that he will go and the places that he will dig to bring you back to life. His mercy is free. His mercy is rich. Can Christ, can Christ have mercy on me? Jesus has nothing else to say to you this morning than look at the cross. The depths that I would go the places I will dig, the blast zones I will enter to set you free. To set you free. An Englishman named John Stocker in 1776 penned one of my favorite hymns. It says this, Thy mercy is more than a match for my heart, which wonders to feel its own hardness depart. Dissolved by thy goodness, I fall to the ground and I weep. I weep to the praise of the mercy I found. Friends, this morning, have you found it? Have you tasted it? Have you experienced it? Does it have hold of you from the inside out? Have you cried out, God, have mercy on me? Well, happy are those who have. Happy are those who have. For they will be shown mercy. Let's pray. Father, we are moved by your mercy for us in the gospel. And this morning, there may be people saying for the first time, God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me. Transform us by your spirit, Lord. We thank you for the resurrection that declares this morning that you are rich in mercy and you have given us new life in Jesus.
May we be people of mercy because of the mercy we have received. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do pray this morning. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.